Hello, this is longtime Milwaukee radio personality Steve Pallack. Stand by, your next episode is queued up. The on air light is lit. It's season five of the Bait and Switch podcast. And we're back. I was going to start today with a little bit of a story. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm thrown off a little bit by the uh, the new opening here. Don't even tell them who we are or anything. No, no uh, welcome back. Nothing. Just and we're back. It makes it sound like we were just talking a minute ago. But uh, but hey, I'm doing fine. Except for that, you threw me off. But yeah, well, fine. you kind of ruined the whole stealth vibe that I had. It was going to be kind of a cold open, and then you ruined it by pointing it out. Next time I do Next, it, just, yep. just don't go point with it, it out. Right, right. You think I know this, all the improv classes and everything, but yep. nope, nope, nope. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's ruined now, so I'm just going to start right. here. Uh, right, I fine. was going to start with a story here, uh, and I got to talk a little bit about my profession, which I usually don't do. I try and stay away from that. You said that two job. or three times in our last interview. But, yeah. I know, but okay. it keeps mm-hmm. coming up because we've had tie-ins, and tonight is maybe even the most tied in with my profession okay. of any podcast we've done. A couple of years ago, well, a couple of years ago, heck, it was probably 20 years ago now. Uh, I'm a chiropractor, and as part of my profession, we go to seminars, right? And there's two types of seminars. There's the ones that involve uh, the scientific aspect of it, you know, keeping up on on techniques and things like that. And then there's the other ones that involve the business end. And the story that I'm going to tell about is one that's on the business end. Okay. So this seminar was one of these deals where it's a $50 introductory seminar. Okay where you go there and they kind of give you some of their secrets about how to run your business or run your office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting stuff. And their hope is that they pique your interest so that you buy their bigger program, their consulting program that they're going to try and sell you at, at the end of the show. Yep. And so it got to that portion. They had 10 of us or so go with one guy. And then he started talking about business and whatnot. And he said, you know, realize that you're going to be tempted when times are slow to blame the weather or blame your secretary or blame Medicare or blame the state regulations. He said, you know, you really have to concentrate and focus on yourself, right? Sure. You -hmm. you as the doctor, you as the business owner, you're the one that is at the helm of the ship and you're the one that's responsible for how things turn out. The buck stops here. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so everybody's taking this in and yep. it's something you inherently know. Yep. And then some guy raised his hand and he said, uh, but doc, you don't understand in Delaware, where I live, Medicare behaves this way and is causing business problems. Right. Okay. And everybody's thinking in the room, like I am like, did this guy not just listen to the last five minutes? Right. right. <laughs> I mean, he started looking for scapegoats, right. He yeah. started looking for problems that led to his business problems. So anyway, I say that little story as a tie-in to tonight's guest. And tonight's guest is Pat Miller. And Pat Miller is an idea coach, thinking it's along those lines of helping business people figure out what they can do with their own businesses. So I'd like to welcome Pat Miller. Pat, welcome to our show. Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Howdy, Jim. Thank you so much for the invitation. Nice to see you too. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. We appreciate the time. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yes. So, Pat, that story, does it resonate with you at all? Absolutely. That's the classic push-pull of any small business owner. Yeah. Am I doing something wrong or is there something wrong with my business or am I failing and no one will tell me or is it the weather or is it Medicare or is it, you know, whatever pandemic, it might be. Global pandemic. Uh, 
That's been the classic <laughs> excuse for right. a lot of us for a while is, sure. oh, it's the pandemic. Well, no, maybe your business isn't very good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. It's yeah. happening to a lot of us. That's for sure. Honestly, for the first time in my career, when the pandemic first happened, and we're two years in now, so it's not much of a, it's different now. But for that first four, five, six months, I thought of that story. And I thought, you know what? This is the first time where I feel an outside force is having a profound effect on my business that I can't control. Yeah. yeah, and it affected all of us because it was something we couldn't control. Many of us were told, you have to close your doors. Sorry, you can't operate. Or you had to put safety precautions in place, which were for all the right reasons. We were all trying to do our best, but you're exactly right. We were told what to do, and that doesn't happen very often. So I could absolutely see why you felt that way, and you weren't alone. Right. Like almost everybody in our boat felt that way when the pandemic happened. It was it was something I hope we don't have to do again anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So, Chris, uh, I'm a little surprised you didn't come up with some kind of uh, virtual adjustment or something. I mean, something use your imagination a little bit, you know, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't, I'm trying to think what other chiropractors did. But, you know, I did relate this to Jim one time uh, when he was in the office, which was people are creatures of habit. As chiropractors, you have kind of two types of patients. You have patients that come in for a new problem and they want to feel better. And then you've got patients that have come in on a consistent basis because they find that you help them. And for that second group of people, stop that that habit that they had of many years and all of a sudden didn't come in for four, five, six, eight, ten months. To restart that, that was a difficult thing for a number of patients and a lot of uh, you know, quote unquote, good patients I've had, you know, never quite came back because mm. habits were, were broken. Now, again, it wasn't significant enough that it's caused that much disruption, but it has to some extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to Jim's point, in our small business community that I run, we all had to find a new line of work or a new, almost a side hustle to try and sell something during the pandemic. And we turned it into a drinking game. Whenever we had to say pivot, we all took a drink because, oh, I got to pivot my business. Drink. And we all laughed. And we had nothing up. I mean, if you didn't laugh, you were going to cry. So that was the way that we got through it is trying to find those pivots. You mentioned the virtual adjustments. And drinking. Uh, Keep the doors open. Well, you know, drinking always helps. (laughs) I find. Right, right, right. I would say that people returning to their in-store or in-practice habits that's going to happen as people get more and more comfortable and decide to leave the cave and go out and engage with life once again. There's not much that we can do outside of discounting our products, which is not a good long-term strategy, right? Because then you can right. hook them on paying less. Um, but the thing that I always talk with people about as we try and figure out what to do now is before you go back to what you were doing before, stop and look at what you did to get through it. Because there are probably things that you did in the interim that your patients or customers like. Keep those things, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we never had delivery before. Great. Clearly, they want it from you. Keep it. We never did curbside before. Awesome. Keep it. We never did online ordering, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, the first step is always um, thinking about what is working now. And just because it was one of the things that got you through the pandemic doesn't mean you should stop it because people might have latched on to a different way to um, consume what you have to sell. And then the sidecar on that is there are a lot of people that started adjacent products. So for example, coaches or marketing agencies or speakers, 
maybe they started like online classes or they started, um, they started writing a book or they started giving virtual presentations or networking all around the country. Keep that stuff. And then think about, okay, what did we do before? Because I always like to look at stuff as an opportunity, right? We couldn't control that it happened. It sucked that it did. Okay, but what can, what can come out of this that's actually good? Because maybe there were some things that you were offering as a service that you had to stop offering that were maybe low margin or kind of a pain in the neck or you needed extra people to administer. Maybe you could just build your business around the stuff that people love that's higher margin or things you actually want to provide. What has been your experience with your clients and your connections? What percentage of businesses have recovered to what they were prior to the beginning of this and how many are still struggling? That's a good question. I don't know to be specific. There are more businesses than people would believe that are doing significantly better than they were prior to the pandemic because they created new product lines or they found new ways to operate. So some people ended up having a better business. My business is bigger and better now that the pandemic happened. We didn't want it to happen. It was awful that it did, but we found a new way to operate that's actually a bigger opportunity for us down the road. Uh, So to guess... You know, some, it's all different sector by sector. I think that's the best answer. Some sectors are right back to where they were or better. Some sectors are still trailing and it's not just people's lifestyle habits. It's also uh, the inability to find a ton of qualified help or to be able to afford the help that you can find uh, to get product and material is kind of a challenge right now for some businesses. So there are like some complementing factors that are slowing down a full-fledged recovery. What, uh, what do you think is behind the labor shortage? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> That's hashtag, a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hashtag not an expert, right? <laughs> I have done several shows on this topic with HR experts and labor folks, and I've heard a little bit of everything. My gut tells me that a lot of the jobs that are hard to fill right now are jobs that aren't a lot of fun to do, And they weren't paying very well. And I think people got in touch with their time versus money um, value system, right? Is it really worth to go do this job that's tedious and difficult or hard for $11, $10, $9 an hour? A lot of people are deciding no. And that doesn't make them bad people. That makes them deciding, you know what? I... I would rather not do that while I work on what the next big thing might be. So I think that, that's a personal opinion. That's a gut check as to one of the contributing factors is I just think people are more aware of their lifestyle now because we all were affected. We all had to really get in touch with real life, whether we wanted to or not, because we couldn't leave our house. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I don't even work, leave my house for work anymore. I mean, I just don't, you know, I'm working from home. I've been working from home since pretty much since the pandemic started uh, a yeah. different job now, but uh, same, you know, same, same office, the, the guest bedroom. <laughs> do you love it? Do you, do you like it working from home there? Uh, I like certain aspects of it. Uh, I certainly like the flexibility. I like the fact that, um, you know, if I have to pick up my kids, I can pick up my kids. We can rearrange our schedules if we need to for the most part, but I mean, I'm, I'm still working. You know, I still have things to do. I still am meeting more with clients and customers and things like that online than, than I had in the past. But um, for the most part, I like it. On the other hand, you know, there's, I, I'm, I'm, I would tend to lean more towards the extrovert side of things and that part I miss. And what I notice 
for myself is when I start talking to someone, like all of a sudden it's like I'm I'm outside of myself looking in and like that guy won't shut up. Like, like I really am like, like, I just like, I can't, it's almost like I can't physically just start because it's all been bottled up because I've been sitting at home literally by myself. I mean, last year, my wife was teaching, the kids were in school. Um, and, uh, and so I was by myself for, you know, nine, 10 hours a day. So um, it's, it's odd. It, like I said, I guess it, you know, there's, there's pros and cons, of course, you know, but um, overall, I would say I, I like it. I think um, if I were to look for a new job, wink, wink, definitely looking for something that's virtual. Yeah, that, well, that's another wide-ranging question, Pat. Are people going to be going back to offices? The studies that I've seen is a big no. I wish I would have known that question was coming because I could have pulled the study, but it's the majority of folks are specifically looking for work from home, and the majority of folks will not, will not go back to the office. Like they, Hey, come back to the office. No, (laughs) it's become a thing. And the idea of I own Northwestern mutual and we're going to have, what do they have? 30 some odd floors, 30 some odd floors and everybody at their cubes. I don't know if that's going to come back ever because people have changed their value system. They don't want to go in. Not everybody wants to go back in. Do Americans, do we work too hard? You know, when you talk to Europeans, they can't believe that we don't have vacation time that we, there seems to be a point of pride of Americans that we, you know, that we work as hard as we can. Do you see that changing? That's a great question. I don't know. I, and it might be difficult in your particular field because your mm-hmm. job, and you know, if I, I might say is to motivate people to work harder. And so, um, you know, how do you balance those two? The, the, the desire for you as a coach to you know tell people to work harder and harder and make their business better and better and have that balance. The job that I play is to help people get clear on what they're trying to accomplish and then help them find the most cost-effective, time-effective way to get there. Uh, there are people that are hustle and grind. I'm not one of those coaches, right? But there are coaches out there that are hustle and grind. And if you just made 10 more prospecting calls, you'd be successful. Um, I try not to do that. But what's interesting, and Chris, I'm sure you can relate with this. When you own your own business, you eat what you kill, right? There's no corporation giving me a paycheck or the members in my community. We are all out there to try and build a future for our families and an impact. So if you love your family and you're trying to you know, put food on the table and take care of everything you want to have, you know, there really isn't... Uh, a time to clock out. It can be a problem. It what the meme that I saw was I quit my nine to five so I could work 24 seven. Like that's dead on when mm-hmm. it comes to a lot of right. small business owners. Right. Yeah. The other joke I heard is uh, uh, since I work for myself, I can work half days. I can pick any 12 hours. <laughs> that's right. exactly yeah. right. 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 But that's an interesting question though, about um, overall the attitude towards work and will we have a, uh, lower tolerance for pushing ourselves past 40 hours a week or uh, the hot trend that's coming is four day weeks. That's really picking up steam in a lot of places where people don't work on Monday or Friday or in some companies, both. I don't think it'll be long until we get to that point in the U S of four, 10 day, what is it? Four, 10 hour days. Mm-hmm. And no one works on a Friday. I think that's the next change that we'll see. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I could see doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, for sure. Um, so 
your okay so you just told us a little bit about about you know the what you do for yeah. your for your people and and how you um how you work with them is that, is that would you say you're primarily centered around marketing men or would you uh, how would you describe that i guess yeah um prior to the pandemic i was helping small business owners one on one consulting and my specialty based on my experience in the radio industry was positioning branding, marketing, um, you know, getting attention for the business to increase sales, right? That was the specialty because in the radio business, that's what you do. You get people's attention and try and get them to do something. So I was helping people one-on-one with that. When the pandemic hit, my business changed and I launched an online community for small business owners called the Idea Collective. So I went from helping one-on-one clients to helping one-to-many small business owners And I now host this community where we host educational events, brainstorming sessions, um, emotional support groups. I mean, we've got a pet club. We've got a book club. It's it's all about connecting solopreneurs and scaling small business owners because there is not a small business support system in this country. There is not a group of people that care if Chris's chiropractic business gets through outside of the trade organization, right, for chiropractors. But there isn't this uh, AARP for small business owners. And, you know, that's the big picture dream of what I'm trying to do. So to answer your question, I host a community that brings entrepreneurs together to fill in the gaps of what they're missing, I think, out there in the business landscape. Okay. You mentioned entrepreneurs, which would be classically the the group that you work with. But we all are in sales, right? If you work for a company, you're in sales. You're selling your your uh, expertise and your labor to the company. Do you work with individuals to help them become more marketable for a larger corporation? Yeah, I've been doing that. Actually, I call them clarity sessions. And inside the clarity sessions, it's helping them answer uh, what is their zone of genius. And then I help them clarify their I believe statement. I find a lot of people that get something out of that are the folks that want to leave corporate and go out on their own, but they don't really know how to talk about what they want to do and how they are different than everybody else. I do the same kind of thing for businesses as well, because if you're the auto store for all your car care needs, no one cares, right? If you're tires plus, oh, I know what they do. They do tires. That cuts through. So I try and help the business folks and the individuals in the same way. But, oh my gosh, you're going to get me to rant. And I don't want to rant, but the idea is, our best work and our time working will be the most fulfilling, uh, most rewarding, uh, and most lucrative if we're spending our time leading through our zone of genius, doing what feels like play to us and work to everybody else. When you can do that for a living, then you'll work 15-hour days, and that's when you'll make all the great money, and that's when you'll change lives. Yeah, I, I forgot to tell you this beforehand. We generally don't share passionate opinions. That's something we don't look for here. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so dial it back a little bit. So. Watch that, please. Yeah, yeah. 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 Don't go on rants. We we don't want right. it to be compelling. No, no. Um, I got um, you. <clears throat> that's interesting because uh, that is exactly one of the questions that I had that was not on the, the question sheet was, um, what do you tell people who say, I'd love to start my own business, but I'm just not sure what I can help people with. And yeah. it's your answer is come get a clarity session and we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. Right? Almost everybody that can hold a corporate job is smart enough to do a wide array of things. Let's say they could do 10 different things under their job description. 
But one of those 10 things makes it worth going in every day. One of those 10 things the team comes to them to do, one of those 10 things uh, just fills them up and makes them happy. And it's kind of a, we were talking about, you know, how Americans look at work. Maybe it's not something we've traditionally done in the U.S. to think about, well, what can I do that makes me happy? That's exactly what I want people to do, because that's where all the good stuff comes from, Mm -hmm. is getting in touch with uh, what feels like play to you and work to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Man, if you have the courage to run for office on that, sky is the absolute limit. No, that was that kind of leads into a question, this whole idea that we're talking about. Is it ever a good idea to do a job that you're not passionate about because it pays the bills? I'd say it's tragic if you had to do that. And, you know, you got to take care of your family. You got to take care of your obligations. Uh, But if you were in that situation, I would encourage you to side hustle and start developing your passion job. And then uh, Dave Ramsey says, bring the boat closer to the dock. So eventually you can make the jump into what you want to do with your life. But yeah, I mean, I'm not the guy that says, uh, uh, go finger paint butterfly pictures because you love it and, you know, screw the kids. That's not, <laughs> that's not what I mean. <laughs> right. You got to pay the bills and you got to make sure everyone takes, is taken care of. But if you do it right and you find a way to use your talents in a marketable way, I believe that that's where you're going to make all your money and go as far as you can go. Yeah. I love that idea. Um, I'm right. right on the point where I really would love to start. I've, I've been thinking about this for actually years, start, start something online. And I just don't know what it is. And I, I feel like I'm charismatic. I can talk to people. I can interact with people. I'm, uh, you know, I'm friendly and, and, but, and I just can't figure out, you know, like you go to these, and this is my, my little tangent, but I go on these, uh, you know, um, start your own business at home. You see Russell Brunson and you see, um, you know, guys like Tony Robbins and this and that. And they're like, just, you know, here, you, you pick the thing that you know the best and you just, you made a, make a course and all that, which would be great. And I think like, I don't know, I don't, I don't have anything <laughs> like how to be nice to people. <laughs> like, that's it. That's what I got. Well, Chris said it best. We're all in sales. And yep. with your personality and your ability to talk to people, I'd assume it wouldn't freak you out to ask people for money and try and sell something. Would that freak you out? Uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. To ask, actually ask people for money. Jim, yeah. do it right now with Pat. Just, <laughs> yeah. just start. Pat, Pat what do you, how, how, I mean, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to get you into this card? <laughs> uh, if with that personality though, you can learn how to get the money that you need to sell what you want to sell. So what I'm curious about is what are you doing now? So I was a software engineer, software developer. Uh, I got laid off last, this past January, the January before. And I took a job with a company um, because I wanted to, a friend of mine worked there, but I wanted to start um, moving out of the development world a little bit and getting more in customer interaction because I realized one of my strengths is interacting with people. And that was one of the strongest things that I had on, you know, my reviews and things like that would be, you know, you, you bring the team together, you make everybody feel included. Generally, sometimes you see software engineers may not be the most socially adept people in the world. So, so I was kind of the glue that held some of those teams together. So I decided to move on into that. So now I stepped into this role and I feel like I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. It's a solutions architect is what it's called, but it's also, it's a, for a small business. And so, so I'm also like sort of supposed to be like kind of doing sales and and solutions architecture and some development and like, and it feels like I'm way in way over my head. 
Um, but it's just because I'm trying to learn everything that there is to know about everything uh, immediately is what it feels like. So, but, but I, that was the idea, right? Was transition into a little bit more customer, uh, customer uh, relations. So the first thing you want to do is take stock of what you know and what do you know that's unique and how do your gifts all interact? Mm -hmm. And if you know software design and software development, and you know how to talk to people, you're in the top 1% of software developers in the world, right? Because like there are people that love to hammer on keyboards all day, but they're not the most personal people. There yeah. are some, I'm teasing, of yeah, course. No, it's but true. It's if true, you yeah. can like go on a long, long car trip, trip with Jim and he can talk about software dev, very rare skill. So who on the planet, like reverse engineer this, who on the planet wants to talk to software developers? Not my wife. <laughs> no doubt, right? But finding that intersection of who needs to talk to software developers, you can be the person, that linchpin, that translator between mm-hmm. bits and bytes and business. And right. you can be in the center of helping people understand the business impact of this software, help people understand the business opportunity if they write this software, being able to go back and forth and be a code switcher almost a translator between the two. Mm-hmm. That's something that you could do as a consultant. That's something you could do for a larger company. And if the sales piece doesn't make you crazy, as long as you're aware of it, you could be a contributor, basically a subject matter expert for a sales or marketing team. But the unique skill is the ability to talk software and to people. So finding a spot on the map where you get a chance to do that, that translator role, Man, there's a ton of opportunity out there because everybody needs software and everyone needs people to write software, but few people can stand in between those two groups and be the mediator between right. those two groups. Yeah. And that's and, something that you're unique because you have the chops. You actually wrote the stuff. You know when the customer says, yeah, I need it to do just this, this, and this. You know instinctively, whoa, brother, that, yeah. that's going to cost you a fortune. Like You'll know right away. Mm-hmm. Very right. rare skill. I was going to say, it sounds like your job is is algebra in a way. You're kind of a solve for X guy, right? You got the different sets of the equation. You got to figure out that X in the middle. And uh, we're going to leave this on a little bit of a uh, cliffhanger here. Jim, maybe Jim can consult with Pat offline because we're about to go into our second half of the interview. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. And we're going to, in the second half, we're going to talk about how Pat got to where he is today. Uh, via his work in uh, radio, which led him uh, to where he is today. And um, we'll mention uh, the person that brought Pat to us, Michelle Tonkovitz, uh, who he knows through marketing as well. So we'll talk a little bit about that in the second half. So give it a minute here, and we'll be right back. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast for the conclusion of our interview with idea coach Pat Miller. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.